Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. And Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome again to the podcast. And so we're going to start out the new year with a new book. This is a book of dystopic fiction, so it will fit right in with uh, JP Mac's dystopic journal. And it is called Neither Stunning Nor Brave by Michael Loftus. So, and I've just finished it um, not too long ago. And it's a really good book. It covers subjects. Well, it takes place in the not too distant future, like a few decades from now, where um, everybody, all the companies and all the governments have been pursuing the goals of the left and of ESG. And so this kind of extrapolates what the world would look like in a few years time if the, uh, the left has their way to solidify their aims. Um, so a lot of things having to do with ESG scores and social credits system and uh, things of that nature and cancel culture um so this book has it all um so if you don't know michael loftus michael loftus is a frequent guest on the greg gutfeld show if you don't know who greg gutfeld show or who greg gutfeld is i can't help you um but you have to watch the show on fox he's a frequent guest on there he also has his own thing going called that show tonight uh sketch comedy uh, michael loftus is a comedian after all comedian and an author and now a novelist and so what i liked about this book is it depicts in a pretty humorous way but i think pretty accurate way uh what happens in with regards to the blind pursuit of ESG scores and social credit systems. And like I said, if, if the left were to have their way over uh, the next uh, 10 to 20 years or so, uh, what the world would look like. And so uh, Loftus uh, imagines a world pretty much like our own world cancel culture um is like we have now only on steroids you don't just get canceled from your tv show you get canceled basically from your life and your credit cards and everything get taken away uh if you break anything that the left doesn't like um so there's a lot of that in here and so like for that reason it fits in really good with our uh, dystopic journal uh, sort of theme or um, topic um, so it is a pretty new book um, it's, not, it's not a long book which is good um, and it's a book um, which you know it's one of those books where I don't like want to put down you know you just don't want to stop reading it it's very entertaining it's funny um, but it's pretty insightful too, and so that's what I like about it. And like I said it's humorous, kind of in the vein of maybe Douglas Adams, 
or uh, Terry Pratchett, um, something of that nature, where it's a dystopic, uh, comedic fiction, but with a serious message um, lying underneath. And so it's a new book. Uh, so, you know, spoiler alert, um, most people watching this probably haven't read it yet. Um, if you have, um, feel free to let me know what you thought about it. Um, and if you want to recommend other books like it. Um, so I'm just going to read from the uh, back jacket. Um, so as not to give away any spoilers. Uh, the book is the main character of the book. The protagonist is a guy named Avery. Avery has this kind of dead end job in this futuristic version of uh, San Francisco. So, but I'll, I'll let the um, the back jacket blurb um, explain it. It says, "You can't fight the future. You can, however." Try to run from it. Every always followed the rules, even as the late 21st century kept changing them almost hourly. He went to school. He got a respectable job in the megacity of San Francisco. At night, he took social sensitivity therapy just because his girlfriend thought it was a good idea. He was a nice guy, life wasn't easy, but everything was worth it because he had a goal, a new life of freedom on Mars. Then one small act of kindness made him public enemy number one. Now he's a nice guy on the run from pretty much everyone. The United Nations, a small army of socially conscious armed Jones, the local authorities, and a crazy reality show co-hosted by his ex, just to name a few. His only hope? A band of insane outlaws in the badlands of what used to be called Texas. Every in bigger trouble than he ever could have imagined, and he has no clue how he's going to get to Mars, or even survive the night. And so that is a pretty good summary of what the book is about um said so it's it's quick reading reading it's easy reading uh i find it i found it very entertaining i didn't want to put it down so it's always a good sign um because i also read a lot of heavy stuff as you hear um you know having to do with the origins of totalitarianism uh, things of that nature. So it's nice to um, talk and read about uh, and read um, a more uh, lighthearted book. And so, and it's, um, I don't know if it's going to be up there it, along with 1984 because, um, but it's still, still good. I think this will have a little bit of staying power. It'll be interesting to read this again, maybe in a few years, to see how things have worked out. Because really the whole book, well, I mean, it's to entertain, of course, but 
I think the subtext is that, you know, if we're not careful about the leaders we choose and what we do and who we support, um, things of that nature, we could end up in a situation just like uh, the Avery character finds himself in this book, where it's very easy to run afoul of the supercharged uh, social justice warrior-led uh, world of the 21st century. Um, so, I, I like how it uh, takes things from real life, things that you've uh, heard discussed on the show, um, things that you know might have uh, talked about, like the WEF and uh, Klaus Schwab wanting to do, and you know where you're going to eat Z bugs and you'll own nothing and you'll like it. And, of course, all of the cancel culture that we've put up with in the, in the last few years. And especially now with everything coming out in real life about how the government interfered with our elections, uh, with regards to what information we put out with regards to the Hunter Biden laptop, Hunter Biden laptop, and uh, with regards to COVID-19, and with climate change and, and a whole host of other things. And so we basically, uh, we're finding out in real life that uh, through Twitter and Elon Musk, that um, all of the things that the government was doing to interfere with our life, uh, with our lives, and to subject us to this sort of totalitarianism. And so... Yeah, reading, reading the book um, where it talks about uh, ESG scores and why companies don't dare uh, do things and the kind of crazy rationale that the left use uses for different crazy things they do and their crazy rules, um, it's actually lifted from real life. And so a lot of this stuff you'll, you'll read and you'll immediately, I think, identify with it. Um, particularly if you follow anything going on with Western culture nowadays, if you follow this show or, you know, just don't have your head stuck in the sand for the last few years. Um, so it's a, it's a good book. I highly re recommend it. Um, looking forward to a sequel. And, and I, I like a book that that I can imagine in my head playing out as a movie or a TV show. And I think Michael Loftus is a TV writer or was a TV writer. And so I think he's good at putting these uh, visuals um, together. So he goes in a great deal of description how he's going to, how he describes the, um, the future of, it's uh, San Jose and San Francisco combined to make this mega city called San Josisco. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but it's a made-up place anyhow, so who cares. Um, but you can see how he's taking, he's looking at you know, stuff, stuff that someone in San Francisco could look out their window and see the homeless people and the needles 
and the human excrement on the sidewalks and things of that nature. Uh, that stuff, you know, exists in the world of this book, too. And so it has a very realistic, down-to-earth kind of um, idea to it or um, story. You know, it's not something, you know, it's not something that like a Isaac Asimov story, for instance, of, you know, of high science fiction where you have to really imagine things, you know, robots and spaceships and things of that nature. Thing, you know, things uh, that are really exotic. You don't really have to use your imagination too much. Um, but I say that um, with the idea that you don't, when I say you don't have to use your imagination too much is because you can see parts of or elements of the story, you know, when you put on the news or some people, even when they just look outside their window, they can see some of these things happening already. And so in that sense, but it is, but what the way it works is for me is that it. It makes it easy to imagine, you know, you can put yourself in place, you can imagine what this future city of uh, San Josisco, you know, looks like, because we know what San Jose and San Francisco look like, and what California looks like, and parts of it takes place in Texas, so we know what that looks like, and then he kind of just exaggerates for effect some of the things and some of the place settings, some of the settings that are in the book. Um, so it's easy to place yourself inside uh, this person's shoes, you know, inside the book and imagine what's going on. So in that sense, it's really good um, fodder for the imagination. And like I said, I like... Uh, books that you can imagine and like they like play out like a movie or TV show in your imagination. I think this one would lend itself pretty good to a movie or maybe like a, a TV series like on Netflix or something like that. So, good book. Um, it's available and the other good thing about it is it was immediately available in in paperback, so it's not that expensive. You don't have to spend too much money on buying a hardback book, or you don't have to wait five months or six months for the cheaper paperback version to come out because it's available right away. So, and I got this like almost immediately after it was published. So, look look it up. Um, it's an Amazon. I didn't see this in the bookstore, but you know, go to Amazon. That's where most people get their books nowadays, anyhow. So, or I'm sure if you go to theloftestparty.com, you can probably find some sort of link where you can buy the book that way. So, anyway, good book. Um, it's easy to identify with the themes and the things that go on. Uh, and you can maybe even personally identify with some of them, like the cancel culture and some of the, you know, not too exaggerated reality shows that happen 
um, that are depicted in the book and the characters. They're they're kind of lifted from real life, maybe changed, obviously, for and exaggerated slightly. But yeah, nothing in this book happens um, that's really that unimaginable. You know, it's it doesn't really uh, you don't have to suspend your disbelief um, too much in order to uh, appreciate this book. So that is the good thing about it, and it's also cautionary tale, obviously, about what could happen if the left were to have their way and, and run roughshod over our culture. So again, uh, I want to recommend Neither Stunning Nor Brave by Michael Loftus. A uh, pretty funny book and uh, lots of good ideas, lots of good concepts in it. So I like it and go read it. All right. Welcome again to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. <clears throat> and today I'm going to talk about a little bit about Kevin McCarthy. You may or may not know that Kevin McCarthy finally succeeded in his bid to become Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, after 14 failed attempts, he finally made it on the 15th attempt, on the 15th vote. And he, of course, if you've been following the, the story, you know that he faced uh, staunch op opposition from members of his own party who were holdouts that had kind of a list of demands um, of him. They wanted him to do business um, in a way different than, than the business had been done in Congress before, uh, particularly under Pelosi. And so... I said, Kevin McCarthy, congratulations. He is now uh, Speaker of the House. He is now third in line in succession uh, for the presidency. We'll talk a little bit about that later, why that matters, how that matters. Um, but also how and why he got elected and why he had to go through everything he went through to get elected and why there was such resistance. What um, what he was up against. And so there was an article, or is an article, uh, in foxnews.com, um, talking about just that, how, uh, Kevin McCarthy was elected. Uh, it's entitled, Kevin McCarthy elected House Speaker in 15th floor vote after days of high drama. It says, McCarthy's win allows members elected to the 118th Congress to be sworn in. Which I guess before, you know, Congress, um, unlike the presidency where you have to go through the inauguration on the 20th, they start right away in the new year. And so they're busy getting sworn in. Now that can happen, now that Kevin McCarthy has been chosen as Speaker of the House of Representatives. And so I'm just going to go through this article real quick. Again, it's from Fox News. Uh, it's by Peter Kap Kasperwitz. Probably got that wrong. Um, 
And again, it's called Kevin McCarthy elected House Speaker in 15th floor vote after days of high drama. And it starts off, uh, Kevin McCarthy's difficult road to becoming House Speaker ended early Saturday morning after Republicans appeared to have miscounted the number of votes they needed and left him one vote short of winning the gavel, then quickly voted one last time to give him the win, with help from some of his biggest detractors. The 15th and final vote for the House Speaker gave McCarthy 216 votes, a bare majority that was lower than the normal 218 votes needed because all six of his remaining GOP opponents relented and voted present. Uh, Representative-elect Andy Biggs of Arizona, Lauren Bobart of Colorado, Elijah Crane of Arizona, Matt Gates of Florida, Bob Good of Virginia, and Matt Rosendale of Montana voted present in the final round. In the end, no Republican voted against McCarthy, which was the closest thing to GOP unity uh, seen all week. I hope one thing is clear after this week. I will never give up, McCarthy said after the victorious vote. I will never give up on you, the American people, and I will never give up on keeping our commitment, blah, 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 blah. Alright, um, a little farther down the article, uh, taking the anti-McCarthy votes off the table kept a week in which McCarthy was able to chip away at the 20 Republicans who opposed him thanks in large part to negotiations that will dramatically reshape the way the House of is run. Some of the most conservative members of the House said they got virtually everything they wanted out of the talks and started to break for McCarthy on Friday morning. McCarthy agreed to allow a single lawmaker to make a motion to elect a new speaker Returning to the way the House ran for decades before that practice was eliminated under former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He agreed to votes on term limits and the adoption of a budget resolution that balances the budget in 10 years and a cap on fiscal year 2024 spending at fiscal year 2022 levels. McCarthy agreed to reject any negotiations on spending with the Senate until the Senate passes its own spending bills. He agreed not to increase the debt limit without spending cuts or other fiscal reforms to set up a committee to examine the weaponization of the government against U.S. citizens and to ensure no bills are brought up on the floor until at least uh, 72 hours have passed. Okay, so let's go over a few of these demands real quick. Um, so again, he's they're talking about they changed the number of people that takes to call for a new speaker. Basically, vote of no confidence in the speaker. Uh, it used to be five, now it's down to one. That's the way it was pre-Pelosi. Now it's uh, down 
again, and again, that's obviously was something that Pelosi would have installed to ward off challengers to her tenure as speaker. So, I think this is kind of a minor victory in, in and of itself, because even if one person uh, wants to call a vote for a new speaker, then, but you still have to have majority support. So, you know, you don't want to waste the people's time in the House, um, you know, uh, just having votes for speaker over and over again. Um, so hopefully they won't use that as a, a filibuster for, uh, particularly the Democrats won't use that as a filibuster if there's, uh, Bills on the on the floor being voted on. Uh, he agreed to a vote on term limits, and that vote. Um, it's hard to say whether it's going to pass. I think it's how it's worded. Um, if they're trying to be too strict, I think um, maybe they they want to do a little bit more liberal. A vote on term limits and of course the problem is that you know if you make the uh, terms too short then basically what you have are as lame duck congressman or congressperson and they don't have to worry about what their if their voters are going to like what they're doing because they can't be voted in again um, so I, I think it's a good thing that if the you know, if a congressperson, you know, the, the Senate or a senator or, or a representative has to worry about whether or not his constituents or his her constituents will like what they're doing. Um, so hopefully they'll apply a little bit of wisdom to it. Now, I think the conventional wisdom says uh, two terms as senators for a total... So that'd be a total of 12 years as a U.S. Senator. And I forget how many terms as representative, something like four terms. So, or maybe six terms. So probably they'll make it like you can be a uh, representative for 12 years and a Senator for 12 years. That will probably, that's something like what is the, the common um, idea nowadays. So we'll see. Because, you know, I, you know, we want our leaders to have to worry about at least once being reelected by their constituents, um, you know, or else it kind of um, waters down the effect of being, um, um, you, of democracy. Um, but the idea of term limits is that you can't have uh, career politicians um, they, um, where they, you know, they consolidate all of their support and they get locked into committee committees and they basically run the different house and Senate committees and, and chairmanships. They monopolize, um, the committee seats. Um, and so that's what, uh, one of the grievances of the 20 Republicans that voted initially against him was. Um, so there's going to be turn limits. 
adoption of a budget resolution that balances the budget in 10 years probably will go nowhere being realistic would be nice to get a balanced budget um, resolution I don't I am not very optimistic personally whether or not that's going to happen but it's a good thing at least put it on the table make people put people on the record as voting against a balanced budget in 10 years on uh, a cap of uh, fiscal year 2024 now a lot of this stem from the recent budget ba uh, battles um, and we spent something over six trillion dollars in the last two years and so it's just astronomical spending and, and we're just um, blowing through our deficits our, our our deficit spending and our national debt we're just you know blowing the, those numbers through the ceiling um so they're trying to re restore a little bit of fiscal conservative uh conservative -y conservatism to uh the the spending the the taxpayers spending that's approved and hopefully that will have uh a good effect on inflation and but anyhow that so that was one of the triggering events uh kind of the last straw for a lot of these representatives these 20 representatives that held out against McCarthy's uh being elected speaker is they saw what they did uh, there's two things mainly that they had they really had a grievance with one was that they were undercut um by the senate okay so mitch mcconnell kind of kneecapped them as far but um of course the the gop congressman um also aided and abetted the senate in doing this mccarthy or uh, mcconnell in doing this and that he allowed this um this huge omnibus uh spending bill to be passed uh, 1.7 trillion dollars obviously it's going to trigger inflation further inflation and that was basically the last straw uh, what the main grievance of these 20 Republicans was at least as far as fiscal responsibility was that the uh, present regime in Congress had I'm talking about Pelosi and McConnell and Schumer um, managing um, from crisis to crisis okay so they we've gone through two or more years of uh, management by crisis where everything they wait till the last minute to do the the spending bills and they have to worry about uh, shutting down the government and then the debt ceiling and all that and the idea of of course is the strategy is to bring pressure um to vote now and to get something done now and don't bother reading the bill even if if the bill is five thousand pages long don't bother you know we'll find out what's in the bill after we pass it like nancy pelosi said and so that that was 
their major grievances. They did. They wanted to get away with management by crisis mode that we've been in uh, in this past Congress, uh, particularly under Biden, since the the uh, Democrats took over control of Congress, and so they wanted to get back to more fiscal responsibility. Of course, they were mad that McConnell and others kneecapped the, the new Congress coming in. You know, instead of passing a continuing resolution where, you know, we're going to put off the spending battle until after the new Congress is sworn in. Okay. And so the, the 20 members of Congress were mad because, you know, you have the American people voted for a new style of governance, um, a Republican majority, and they wanted to take advantage of that a Republican majority and, and the biggest power that Congress has um, other than you know voting to declare war is the power of the purse and that's where they get all pretty much all their leverage from and basically they feel like they were undercut they were uh, cut off at the knees by the leadership in uh, both houses and so they want to put an end to that. So that's one of their grievances that the the 20 holdouts want to have addressed. Now, whether this has any practical effect, um, we don't know. Um, so let me continue on with the article here. Um continues on and he agreed to give three members of the house freedom caucus three seats on the house rules committee which sets the terms of debate for all legislation headed to the house floor republicans who were holding back their votes until the deal was done praised it as a series of changes that will beat back the excessive spending and regulation that have defined the first two years of the biden administration and so just to, to explain this a little bit further, the House Freedom Caucus is a group of conservative uh, congressmen and women. Um, they're fiscal and um, uh, social conservatives, and they're probably the more conservative wing, uh, conservative libertarian wing of the uh, House of Representatives. And so they want to have more power and to say about how the rules were made. Because um, the big problem that they had was everything was being done basically in secret by the various committees. And so nothing was getting done. That, you know, the, the average rank, rank and file uh, congressperson didn't have anything to do in Congress until uh, the bill in its final form or close to the final form was put up to a vote. And then they had um, the vast majority of uh, congressmen, uh, members of Congress, didn't have any say in the legislation that was being made because it was all done being done in the committees and you know, like two weeks before the budget's due, now the committees come up with their, basically their final product, 
you know, five thousand a five thousand page monstrosity, and no one has time to read it or figure out what's in it. And so that's the way, of course, the Democrats got um, to sneak in a lot of their leftist agenda through doing it through that process. And so the uh, the twenty holdouts in the GOP said, "Enough is enough. We're not doing things." Uh, like that anymore we want to be have a hand in making the rules um, because we want to make the um, Congress the body as a whole um, have more say more input into the re uh, legislation that's being formed not just the committee heads okay so they want to kind of devolve the power from the uh, speaker and the committee heads down to the individual um, members of Congress. And I think that's more like what the framers of the Constitution had in mind anyhow. And so that was one, another concession that they got for their vote um, for McCarthy to for speaker. And... Um, See, uh, talk about, of course, the $1.7 trillion omnibus that was like the final straw, as I mentioned. Um, for a lot of them, you know, they want to uh, make sure it doesn't happen again. They, they want basically to go to the normal order of business where if you have. A piece of legislation that legislation deals with just that topic so if it's a jobs bill everything in that bill has to do with creating jobs and employment you know there's not money for um, a new art gallery in Washington DC or Des Moines Iowa or somewhere hidden in that um, legislation it has to do with the topic of the legislation now how as a practical matter, they're going to make that work. I don't know. It's a good idea in theory, but in practice, you know, of course, the devil is in the details, as they say. Um, so, and I'll just finish off the article. Um, Those who continued to oppose McCarthy found themselves in an increasingly small camp throughout the day. Rep. Representative-elect Andy Biggs of Arizona said he was still holding the line against McCarthy a few hours before the final vote, and others like uh, Reps Matt Gates of Florida and Bob Good of Virginia have said repeatedly they would never support McCarthy, and so they just voted present. That was basically the deal they made. Uh, for both Republicans and Democrats, McCarthy's election means members-elect of the 118th Congress can be sworn in and assigned to committees, and that the regular work of the House can begin. GOP lawmakers have said for months that once their work begins, they will lean heavily on managing the federal government through passing a budget and individual spending bills and tough oversight of the Biden administration. 
And so there you have it. Uh, it's unfortunate because they're not going to have much to do with regards to the budget because the they passed the omnibus. And so they took away the, the GOP's ability, their biggest bargaining chip, to control uh, the budget. And so they were undercut with that. Now it's going to be restored, but that's not, they're not going to have the ability to leverage that power, the power of purse until uh, later this year, until basically until this fall. And so that's something that they were mad about. Um, and of course, we all know that they want to form the investigative committees to look into Hunter Biden's activities and his father's activities. Um, they want to look in and one of their, one of their demands was to have uh, a congressional inquiry into the weaponization of the DOJ and other um, parts of the executive branch. Because as we know, the DOJ and the FBI and other um, portions, other departments of the executive branch um, interfered with the 2020 election um, in that they didn't allow social media, they put pressure on social media giants such as Facebook and, and uh, Twitter to not publish the Hunter Biden laptop story. They made it, they made it seem like it was disinformation of course, a lot of that was driven by uh, never Trumpers and, and uh, members of the deep state that didn't want uh, Trump to be reelected. And now we're finding out all this happened and everything that we thought was happening was actually true. The FBI was really pressuring uh, social media giants such as Twitter to basically... Um, be a propaganda arm for the regime, for the deep state, and for the concerns of the deep state, whatever they thought were was worth uh, pursuing or not pursuing. So if they didn't want a certain policy with regards to COVID followed, then they put pressure on Twitter um, to call it disinformation. And so you had a lot of uh, well-qualified doctors banned from Twitters because they had an opinion that differed from the narrative that the deep state, that the uh, experts in Washington, the unelected uh, officials and experts in Washington, D.C. wanted to do. And so if you differed with what, uh, like, Fauci wanted or what the FBI or CIA or whoever thought was good policy in the foreign or domestic policy. Um, you know, the, we're now finding out through the Twitter files, and we can assume that the same applies to Facebook and Google too, that pressure was put on them and they were actually reimbursed for their efforts um, basically for censorship. So this, they, they were reimbursed for the time spent uh, censoring Americans. And that's not a conspiracy theory anymore. That's a conspiracy fact. And so that's one thing came out. 
And also there's the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI. Um, things like, you know, uh, concerned parents in their schools being treated and investigated like they were domestic terrorists. And also kind of uh, broadening, over-broadening the definition of domestic terrorist or right-wing terrorist or calling things right-wing extremism that aren't really right-wing um, things of that nature. And of course, you know, we had a lot of accusations going around that the FBI and the DOJ have been weaponized uh, to attack opponents, of, particularly of the Biden regime, um, and, and in particular Donald Trump. Um, of course, they raided his residence last year. They, you know, they uh, took a lot of things, and they had uh, the courts uh, force the FBI to give a lot of stuff that they took from his residence back um, because they didn't need it for their investigation. There was no justified uh, need. And so that, that's another thing that the new Congress wants to pursue. They're going to have hearings. And so you can expect since the new Congress doesn't have too much to do with regards to the budget because that, that power of purse was taken away from them, um, expect to hear a lot of hearings uh, starting probably next month in March and in the spring in particular you're going to hear a lot about Hunter Biden's laptop you're going to hear a lot about his and his, and his father's dealings with the Russians and the Chinese communists and you're going to hear a lot about that you're going to hear a lot of ex uh, people like Dr. Fauci and other government agencies explaining what they, why they did what they did with regards to COVID, um, censoring people, for instance, who were speculating that maybe uh, COVID was uh, escaped or was released by the Chinese from the Wuhan uh, lab in China. So, of course, you know, it started out, well, you were just a conspiracy theorist if you were accusing the Chinese of any kind of wrongdoing or even creating the virus in the lab. You know, you were called like a, a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. Now, that's basically the accepted uh, explanation of what happened with regards to COVID. And so you had that and you had other treatments, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, you were banned from basically advocating from either of those two treatments. You were banned even from giving factual, reciting factual studies regarding those that might tend to favor, you know, either I ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, or um, if you talked about not getting vaccine, the problems and dangers associated with the COVID-19 vaccine. You're called a conspiracy theorist and you were banned from Twitter. You know, you had your Twitter account removed or your Facebook postings. Uh, you know, your, your, your site was shadow banned on Facebook and on Twitter and other, you know, your Google results were suppressed. Um, 
anybody that they thought was doing committing disinformation, you know, in their mind, anything that the deep state or the Biden regime didn't like. And so that that all is going to be hashed out in the next few months in Congress. Um, hopefully, because we know this is going to happen, um, hopefully something will come of it. Um, you know, we know from the last go around when you had Hillary Clinton testify about Benghazi and about later about her um, hard drive being wiped out, that a lot of that stuff was swept under the rug and nobody was, um, no, nobody uh, faced any penalties for that. Um, Hillary herself was given basically a stop on the wrist. She was made the, to pay a fine um, to the election commission or something. And then one person pled guilty with regards to the Russian collusion hoax where he falsified documents to try and get a FISA warrant. So he, he falsified information on some of the documents to get the FISA warrant um, to further the investigation into Trump, which they already knew was BS. They knew the FBI knew right away that the whole Russian collusion hoax was just a hoax by Hillary Clinton and her campaign, but they let it go on anyhow. They let that charade go on anyhow for three years. And so they're going to look into that. Um, I wouldn't expect any accountability. Hopefully, though, they won't waste their time grandstanding and making accusations and all this. Hopefully, they'll spend their time in these investigations asking meaningful and pointed questions because um, if there is going to be any um, repercussions or punishment or anything dealt out any god forbid any uh, criminal charges resulting in any of this um, you're going to have to have good questions you, you know you can't just grandstand and um, like they did a lot of times throughout you know, with his, with um, regards to the Benghazi hearings and uh, Hillary Clinton and with, with regards to Dr. Fauci. You know, a little less histrionics, uh, a little less um, accusations, unsupported accusations and, um, you know, playing for the camera and more meaningful questions where, you know, I want the questions were like, you know, did you or did you not do this on this date? Or did you or did you not support the doing of X or the cancellation of X for saying Y? Um, a lot of things, I want to have a lot of facts at the end of this, not a lot of opinions, not a lot of grandstanding. I mean, I know it's all a lot of very satisfying in a way where, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, they give it to him and, you know, the member of Congress really give it to him now. And, you know, and you've seen that on the, on the January 6th committee too, when the Democrats had their turn, you know, Democrats, um, really were like, yeah. And, 
yeah, that's telling them, and yeah, insurrectionist this, and then Trump that, and you know, lock them up, and all of that nonsense. Um, not uncovering very many useful facts at all. Um, so hopefully, the upcoming uh, hearings will have some sort of value to the American people that might even, um, shall we even dare to hope, uh, result in criminal referrals and criminal, not just referrals, but criminal prosecution and even people facing punishment of some sort for their deeds. I mean, look at Hunter Biden. Uh, that whole thing, his Hunter Biden laptop from hell alone should be the source of a lot of, you know, could be potentially the source of not just him, but several people going to jail and one president in particular being impeached. But we'll see whether that, whether or not happens. And if they want to, by the way, go down the road of impeachment, um, I suggest that they look at uh, the heads of DHS and also look at Dr. Fauci for what he did. Not just look at the top, not just look at uh, Joe Biden himself, but also members of his administration. If they did wrong and if they violated uh, people's constitutional rights, for instance, um, getting, like, for instance, getting the social media companies to ban people, ban people's uh, free speech to free people, infringe on people's uh, First Amendment rights. If that can be proven, then people should be punished. They shouldn't waste their time um, doing anything else. And if those people can be proved, if, if uh, the top people at the top levels of the FBI or DOJ can be found to um, within a reasonable doubt that they uh, forced people like Twitter to ban people and uh, talked, uh, pressured companies like Twitter and Google and Facebook into altering search results and uh, what people can see and what they can't see and censoring people and banning people and shadow banning people. If this can be proven that there's a direct link from the federal government to Twitter and the suppression of free speech, then those people should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. So hopefully they will, and that will happen. That's what will come of it. Um, don't expect too much. Don't hold your breath. We'll be lucky. Um, but at least this will get some of the facts out in the open. Um, and... You know, at least we can get that done. But, you know, don't waste our time with things, you know, grandstanding and doing things for campaign commercials to be using on in a future campaign spot uh, two years from now or a year and a half from now or five years from now or four years from now, whatever. Um, hopefully they'll use their time wisely and they'll use their power that they have wisely and... And um, they'll be able to get stuff done. Um, first priority um, 
is get the America's House fiscal house in order, stop the huge spending bills, um, get some fiscal sanity, um, bring fiscal sanity, bring that to Washington, D.C., so that we can get out of this double-digit inflation spiral that we've been experiencing these years of 8, 9, 10. Um, of course, the real inflation rate is about 15%. Some people say, uh, I think it, like 15% if it was measured um, according to the principles of like in the 1970s when we had uh, high inflation back then. Um, so anyhow, hopefully that under Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll get some meaningful stuff done, and actually use their their power that they've been given by the people, and also as a final thought. Um, we will now see, now that it's for sure, that Kevin McCarthy is going to be Speaker. Now that's settled. Now that they, we know how Congress is going to operate. Now the ball is kind of in the Democrats' court. Now we're going to see, are they going to start doing any machinations with regards to um, how President Biden's, if they're going to run President Biden in 2024, if you're going to relieve him of duty in the 25th Amendment, are they going to allow him to be impeached? Um, what are they going to do? Are they going to replace Kamala? Um, so now with the speakership in place, that third in line of secession to the presidency, now the Democrats will will be able to make their decisions and with regards to what they're going to do with their President Biden. Um, so we'll see that in the next few months too. So look for that. So I want to thank everybody. Again, Happy New Year. And um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully um, the new Congress will show a little bit of wisdom and use their power for good and wisely and sensibly. Um, but until then, uh, I want to say thank you for those of you who have listening and please give us five stars on whatever service you hear this or see this on. Please follow the Liberty Relearn podcast on Facebook, uh, follow Liberty Relearn on libertyrelearn.com online and at LR podcast on Getter and me, JP Mac on uh, Rumble. And so thank you again for listening, and until next time, stay healthy, happy, and free.